Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back to the show, the 3030s. Um, we're gonna have a new guest, Derek Ross. Um, tell us about yourself, Derek. So, um, so I'm living in Waco for just a little over a year at this point, but, um, but originally I'm from Anadarko, Oklahoma. It's um, west of Oklahoma City, a couple of hours. So, um, but I've been living in the Philippines for about 20 years. I'm a missionary for college students, families, things like that. And uh, and I came back to the U.S. about a year and a half ago. We were kind of in California for a little while. I, I grew up in Texas part of my life, but we were trying to land in California. It was too expensive, things didn't work out. And so we decided, let's just go back to Texas because it's easy, you know. It's easy and cheaper. Uh, during the, especially COVID and those kind of things. Yeah, and it's much cheaper, much, much cheaper. But um, I'm from the Wichita and affiliated tribes. It's uh, um, Waco, Tawakini, Kichai. And so Waco, the city of Waco, gets its name from our tribe. Nice. So um, as an example, Kirikiritz uh, Tatsak means we are Wichita in, in our language. And so the 150, 180 years ago, the people who are living here are Waco Indians. I'm, I'm a Waco Indian. So that's the la- language that we're speaking way back, you know. And a lot of people think that, um, I mean, they don't probably have much thought about it, but if someone was to be asked a question about Waco Indians, probably they would say there is no more. But that's not true because there were actually 3,400 people in the tribe in Anadarko, Oklahoma. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, but mainly all of them. Most everybody's in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. Okay. And, and, And actually, if you... If you heard of the Trail of Tears, I don't know if you ever heard of that. So the Cherokee tribe came up with a name. Uh, in in the 1800s, uh, President Jefferson uh, made a law, Indian Relocation Act. And so they, they started taking away all the lands legally uh, from, I mean, according to American law, from Native American tribes all over the country and, and pushing those, thir- those tribes into Oklahoma, which at that point was Indian territory, it wasn't uh, a state yet. And, um, and so, the, the, but the tribe or tribes that are indigenous to southern Kansas, all of Oklahoma and northern Texas is, is our tribe, Wichita and affiliated tribes, Waco, Tawakini, Kichai. So if there are stories or history of Comanches or other tribes, Apache, those tribes are new to the region um, prior to the 1850s, something like that. So. Um, and actually, when Cordova 
encountered the first contact uh, in 1841. I think it's 1841. Um, we're we're 160,000 people oh, across wow. three states, and so um, so. But by the 1820s, we're like 500 people, uh, 400 people. You know, it's um, because of um, the you know influx of uh, foreigners, you know, and uh, the U.S. government removing you know, the culture, the language. The, they're trying to just get the land, really. It's so, just the problem. So all these people that, are, that you mentioned that, that live in Oklahoma, are they still uh, practice these languages or these traditions? Yeah, that's a good question. So in the, in the, in the 1800s, there, there's a number of different laws and things that the U.S. government uh, did to remove, to, to kind of Americanize mm -hmm. uh, Native Americans. Uh, they didn't want them to grow their hair long. They didn't want them to speak their language. They removed children from their homes and sent them to boarding schools in Pennsylvania or some faraway place. So pretty much they kind of to Yeah, as an example, of... you're Hispanic. And so um, if uh, if I didn't want you to be Hispanic, as an example, this is what the American government was doing. They they would get, get your daughter, and uh, and remove her from your care, and put her someplace so she wouldn't grow up with her culture and, and knowing Spanish, knowing the culture in general. There's there's probably things that you can point to that are Hispanic culturally, you know. So taking away those things, that's what the American government was doing in the eighteen hundreds, you know, and so, um, so because of that, um, in larger tribes like the Navajo tribe and other tribes that are really large or, or somehow survived in, in a different way, uh, were able to retain their language in our, in our tribe, uh, by the, uh, 1980s, the number of people who spoke our language had dwindled down to just a handful of people, people oh. who were fluent. So I grew up in our culture. I'm 57. So when I was 10 years old, you know, a, a young kid around my grandmother's house, you know, it's kind of like going to Mexico. You know, if you're hanging out in Waco, Texas, maybe people are kind of speaking English wherever you go. And the second generation Hispanic young people are speaking English, maybe, you know. But if you go to Mexico, Abuelita, you know, everybody's, you know, everybody's your grandma's there and everybody's Spanish. speaking Spanish. And so if you don't speak Spanish, then you're having a difficult time, you know, if you're really American, Mexican from America, and you go to Mexico, then you're, you're having a difficult time. So that's, that's kind of the, the culture was fading out, you know, about, by the time. So my dad is 80 years old. His mother was born, and my grandmother was born in 1919, and her grandmother was born in 1876, 1876. And so she didn't speak English at all. So uh, when my dad, he's 80, when he was born, he was raised by my grandmother's grandmother. So it, it was common for a mother to give her children, the one of her children, to the grandmother to take care of. That's a, a cultural thing. Oh, wow. And so, um, and so, uh, so the first language that my dad heard was not English. It was Wichita, our language, you know. Um, and so, but then as a young kid growing up in Gracemont, Oklahoma, somewhere near Anadarko, where my dad is from, um, he's, uh, he's probably speaking Wichita to some degree. 
through five, you know, five to ten years old, you know, and then um, and then moving into school, you know, uh, you know, there's white people and every you know different races of people, so he was forced to just speak English, you know, every day. And so by the time he went to college, University of Oklahoma, he's pretty much just speaking English. So um, that's a, a byproduct of what the government was doing back all the way back to the seventh president of the United States, wow. Thomas Jefferson. You know, so there's there's always a some challenges in you know the America has is I love the country. You know, I was a U.S. Marine. I served my country. Oh, you know, so I love that. thank you for your uh, service. I love you know the, the USA, but the, but our history is kind of a you know. The history books are limited in what, in telling the whole story, you know. So I'm in Waco for about a year and a half trying to work as a consultant for Baylor and speaking to the people at the Texas Ranger Museum and other historical Waco Foundation and some other different entities, um, Creative Waco, to help tell the story that people don't know, you know. Yeah, I I didn't know all this. uh, Yeah. uh, tribes that, that we had from Waco and especially you know that all these people are still somewhere in the in the right. US especially I mean we're not that far from Oklahoma it's like yeah. probably three hours or so, so so as an example if you go I took a group of five city leaders from the city of Waco Baylor mm-hmm. University to Oklahoma in December and then we went back again about three weeks ago to meet the president so when you think about the 570 tribes in America Navajo Apache, Comanche, if you heard of different tribes, Cherokee. There's 570-something tribes in America, and so those tribes are sovereign nations. So just like Colombia, Mexico, other nations around the world have a president and uh, administration and government, um, the tribes in America, even though it's America, they have their own governments and uh, law and police and uh, social services. You know, So our tribe has those things and we we took some people from the city of Waco and the um, Convention and Visitors Bureau, Baylor University Creative Waco. We took these people to meet the president of our tribe about three weeks ago and and one of our former presidents and some cultural people um, to just talk about our history and heritage. And and so we're trying to build a bridge, a a new bridge um, the tribe is removed from Waco around the, eight, the middle of the 1800s. And so um, uh, the communication, the, those things not happening until around 2014. My dad, the pres- who's an elder in our tribe, the president of our tribe, and then the cultural program coordinator, planner, um, came to Waco in 2014. So that was the beginning of a kind of a reconnection. But then that connection was lost, and then when I showed up about a year, year and a few months ago, um, it just kind of some things happened, and it, it became a conversation again. So I'm working on so those things. So trying to reconnect all these. Yeah, I'm trying to work on that. As an example, and hopefully this is not offensive. A, a lot of people say this every time I encounter people. The first thing people say is, "Oh, because uh, people." People, everybody wants to have like a cultural connection, or it's kind of romantic to say they know something about culture. So when I when I meet people and they say, "Oh, we are, you're a Waco," so isn't it Hueco or Huaco or H U 
E C O. People always pronounce. Isn't it? Isn't isn't this the original way that the Waco Indian tribe is pronouncing their name of their tribe? But actually, that's incorrect. And so that's that's one of the the common uh, misinformation somehow. Uh, probably that that's a Spanish pronunciation of a Native American term or word. So actually, the way that you you would if you if you showed up here middle of the beginning of the 1800s and you encountered people who are Waco Indian and you ask, what's the name of your tribe? What is the name of how you call your people? You know, so then the person would respond, Waco, 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 like a two, like a W-I-I-C-O or K-O, Waco. Yeah, like that's how you would say that. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like, I guess now that we, that we get the uh, uh, Texas accent, that is Waco. Yeah. Or, or even like a, probably because you're Hispanic, you understand. So if there's a, if a, if a, if an American person goes to Mexico and then they're trying to, you know, just even speak any Spanish, you know, uh, then <coughs> they would say something with an, an, an American accent to, to try to be Spanish. You know, they yeah, would I mean, say even when you say well, "Cómo te llama," you know, and so yeah. they're trying to, you know. Go over to S, you know, um, you know. So then, I but mean, even you, even when you say yeah. Mexico, I mean, I mean, the real, I mean, you Mexico. supposed to say Mexico. Yeah, 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 like that. Yeah. So all those things. So that's a great. This is a great conversation to give an example of the way uh, culture is. You have to immerse yourself in culture in order to really become uh, understanding of the culture in Mexico, you know, yeah, Mexico, you know, then you would have to go there and spend some time with uh, Spanish culture, you know, some people who are working, some people who are professionals, learning the language and culture, you know, gotcha. the way people make decisions. Uh, Americans uh, in general, uh, uh, the larger, broader American culture, people think, um, people might say, oh, it's just common sense. But that That depends where you're from, you know, because people in Mexico, you know, have a different way of thinking exactly. on time, on issues, on relationships, um, and yeah, any, just, anywhere you go in the it's world. It's just a different environment. As you mentioned, you know, 20 plus years of uh, uh, helping people. In the Philippines. In the Philippines, you know, it's just, I'm sure you see different environments, different, like, as you mentioned, culture, mm -hmm. the way people think here. Right. Philippines or Mexico, I mean, it's just completely different. I mean, even we probably five hours, six hours from Mexico, I mean, down there people think different, you know, because mm -hmm. the, the problems are different there. Mm -hmm. So it's just amazing how, how yeah, and in a small distance or so right. big distance people can change their mind mm -hmm. and act different. Yeah, and I think when people think about culture, culture, Uh, people are thinking initially. People, the first, if you say culture, most Americans don't really understand culture in general because um, it's just the way it is, you know, socially, you know. But um, when people think about culture, the first thing that they think about is language, you know. But language is just one aspect of culture. Uh, culture is the way people make decisions. As an example, and I use this in uh, orientation in the Philippines. If we bring a, a group of Americans. Five people show up in the Philippines, and then we're going to go do something. What I do is I speak to students in public schools about um, speaking to about 50,000 kids in public high schools all over the country every year. Yeah. I'm on the radio and the TV, reaching about 10 million people annually. So I'm I'm familiar with the culture. You know, I I, I know how to be American when I need to be American. I know how to be Filipino when I need to be Filipino. So when those Americans come over, we usually so go. Which which which. Uh, 
you identify more that as an American or as a Philippine? Because I mean, you're spending a, a big chunk of yeah. Life you know when I'm well. when I'm in uh, when I'm in like a. In Home Depot, there's uh, two ladies who are Filipino. <laughs> the, the lady who works at the the checkout, uh, her name is Vina, so she's Filipino. So I speak Tagalog to her every time I go there. You know, Kamusta? They they also have a Spanish influence. Kamusta um, is how you say um, how are you? How you know, Mabuti yeah. is the response. So bueno, you know, and so uh, or maganda, you know. Um, so uh, so I'm I'm uh, if I'm I know how to. Like when you meet a Spanish person, do you just start speaking English or you just start speaking Spanish? Probably it's Spanish, so you you kind of convert to. Well, yeah, most of the time yeah. I speak uh, Spanish. I try to Spanish, but I mean, believe it or not, I mean, in Texas, I mean, some people can right. look like a real Mexican right, yeah, 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 yeah. and not speak right nothing. And, and, and also, that's happening for Filipinos. Like uh, uh, my wife is driving Uber Eats something, you know, and she got an order and she took it to a house and the, the lady opens the door and she's Filipino, maybe like 30 or something, 20 something. So then my wife says, where are you from? And then the lady goes, oh, I'm sorry, I don't speak Tagalog. I'm Filipino, but I don't speak because I was, my parents came from the Philippines and I was born here. And so I really, they, most of the time, if you're a second generation Hispanic or Filipino Vietnamese, uh, you're your um, your parents really want you to become American because they want you to kind of fit into the culture and be successful and those kind of things. So letting go sometimes of your language and part of your culture is the the way to kind of uh, move into the new culture, you know. Well, see, and it's sad. It, it, um, it is sad because I got a couple of friends that, you know, they like look completely Mexican. I mean, yeah. you see them, I'm a little brown, black hair, kind of like me, I guess. Uh -huh. And I mean, you talk to them in Spanish, and no, you don't pull out nothing mm -hmm. in Spanish. I mean, it's just English. And uh, one of my friends back in the day, um, his girlfriend was a American citizen, mm -hmm. you know, from the U.S. And um, and she speak more Spanish than him. Uh -huh. I mean, I had right. a, a little, mm -hmm. have a conversation with her for a good hour, and she would speak very fluent in Spanish, and I was like. This is embarrassing, man. I mean, you you Spanish. Come on. You don't speak no word to me in Spanish. <laughs> and you girlfriend, I mean, come on. Yeah. And actually, so answer to your question is, uh, when I go to Anadarko, Oklahoma, I identify with the people from our tribe. So I'm moving around. I'm talking. I'm. Uh, there's a different way that uh, you respect elders. Like uh, uh, you, you wouldn't uh, interrupt and... It's just a higher level of respect than in just the broader American culture for elders in, in, in my culture, in, in, in the Wichita, Waco Indian culture. It's, it's, it's a really high veterans. There's a really high respect for veterans. There's high respect for elders. So when I'm in those environments, then I operate that way. Or if I'm in Waco and most of the general population is, um, you know, Anglo, white, you know, then I'm operating that way. Gotcha. Uh, I, I mentioned before my son-in-law's Colombian, and yeah. his his father is uh, Jose Ordonez. He's a Colombian uh, comedian. He doesn't really speak English. The wife, um, his wife, speaks English a little better. My daughter got married, so we, we had a, a, a the wedding was in California, and so half of the the family was Colombian. You know, and a lot of those people came from Colombia for the wedding of my daughter nice. and Jose, the the son, and. Um, and so, the, and a lot of those people didn't speak English. And so my Spanish is 
there and my and I speak Spanish pretty good if it's if I but because I'm like instead of saying thinking of the word donde I think of Sa'an it's my language in the Philippines for 20 years yeah so if I if I if I'm thinking about uh cuando you know it's Kelan you know there's an, another my word so so the words that come to my mind immediately even when I meet someone who's a Hispanic person here I want to speak Tagalog because I'm looking at someone that's kind of brown skin, you know, so it's just, so how do I identify? It just depends the, the situation where I'm at, you know. Gotcha. Um, so how do you teach you kids uh, all this? My culture? Culture. Yeah, so the kids, uh, so my name is James Derek Ross. I go by my middle name, Derek. But um, so each one of our kids, so Sunday, our, our, young, our oldest daughter, her first name is Nasa Kidney. So that's in our language. In the language of the Waco Indians, it's Wichita is what would you call it today. Um, her name is, we call her Sunday, but her real name on her birth certificate is Nasa Kidney. So that means when it's the Lord's Day or Sunday, the day of the week, you know, the day to, to spend time with God, you know. So Nasa Kidney, that, that's how. So if you were here 180 years ago in Waco, and someone said, you know, it, and it's Sunday. What what is today? You know, to a, a Waco Indian, they would say Nasa Kidney. It's you know, it's Sunday. You know, Sunday. the day of the week. Um, how, how many kids you got? I have five kids. Five kids, and then so, girls, boys. So I have uh, three girls. So our oldest daughter is twenty six, and she's about to move here with Jose, the my my son in law. He's a filmmaker, a financial planner. She has a social media business called Swell Swell Social. So she's going to be doing her social media business here, Swell Social. And then, um, and my second daughter is in LA right now, and her, she's twenty-five. And then my son is twenty-one. Um, he's a, a film photographer. He's a, a, a digital media photographer. He has a business called Waco Film Lab. So he's doing that here in Waco. And then. Our daughter, who's 19, um, is going to MCC and one year already. And then uh, my son, who's 15, so we have three girls and two boys. My son, who's 15, is doing homeschooling, and um, he's doing really good. Nice. But they all grew up uh, in the Philippines. So you would say Lumalaki Dunsa, Lumalaki Dunsa, Philippines. They grew up, they got big. Lumalaki is, is getting big, you know. Growing up, in but the but but if they want to communicate in Philippines, uh, they will understand each other, right? Yeah, I don't know what your question is. Just well, but like let, let's say because I know. Could I speak Tagalog to my kids, and would they understand? Well, yes, because I mean I know you speak different, uh, I guess languages. But yeah. my question is, when you that you older daughter can have a conversation with the youngest one on the same with the in same, Tagalog on Tagalog. Yeah, they probably could. Actually, the longer you stay away from Mexico, then the sometimes your depending on the person, your Spanish might just kind of start disappearing. You know, because mm -hmm. you're not a little bit depends the person. Yeah. So for our kids, even let's see, what was the the word for stingy? Do you know the word stingy? The English word stingy, like yeah. if you have some candy, you don't want to yeah, share yeah. your candy. You know. So the, we were in the house recently, my 19-year-old daughter, who's really fluent in, in the, the Tagalog language, she was like, what's the word for stingy? She couldn't remember, you know. <laughs> we've only been gone for a year and a few months, and she was like, it's koripot. You know, that's the word, koripot. 
which means stingy or you don't want to share, you you know, something share like that. Anything. Yeah. So so the longer we're away, the even I couldn't remember that word. It's like such an easy word, you know. But uh, if, yeah, you don't, if you, you don't, don't use, practice, yeah, if you don't use, yeah. yeah, that happens to to me or I mean family because like when I speak English and I start speaking or if I have a friend that speaks Spanish, we start mixing it in Spanish and English and yeah. we kind of have the or a little with Spanglish. There. Yeah, yeah. That's just kind and, of funny. And and we went to Costa Rica, which is a beautiful country. My wife worked for Continental Airlines a long time ago, and first a part of our marriage 30 years ago. And uh, when we went to Costa Rica, my wife took uh, four years of Spanish, and she lived in Houston, you know, so in high school. So her knowledge of Spanish is pretty good, but because she's not practicing it, um, you know, it's limited. So, But when we went to Costa Rica, we were there like two weeks in a, like an Airbnb kind of place. And mm-hmm. uh, so the first several days, you know, we're out doing some things and Spanish is limited, but the more you're in that environment, you know, even when my Colombian son-in-law was uh, wedding things and, and all the families were together, like everybody's speaking Spanish <laughs> and his dad doesn't really speak English. And, and actually he probably could speak a little bit of English, but it takes effort, you know, you really have to think of all the words and so it's difficult. So he's like, you know, um, I'm just going to speak Spanish. And, you know, he's, he, you, he's you just gotta, like, you're going to have to jump in here and figure yeah, it out. And figure know? it out. How, how do you have that? I mean, you say that your daughter got married in California. And, I mean, part the of the two fam- families. Uh, part of the family was Colombian. So they had a bunch, I'm assuming. Well, they had about, a lot of- so there's about like 12 people who were Colombian. And so of the 12 people, maybe, you know, uh, seven people, eight people kind of spoke English a little bit, you know. There was a few people who really didn't speak English at all, you know, but but that's where, you know, like if you're if you're American and you kind of speak Spanish but it's lost and you're you're you know, Kela no no Kela no and I'm speaking Tagalog, uh, donde cuando que you know, uh, mijo mija you know you, all those words just start coming. Yeah, back Colombian to you. people like to party a lot, you know, they they like to dance. They all, they have a good dance. Uh, you know, they're, they're actually, they, and also, I, I don't know what all this is, but there are cultural things. So his name is Jose Ordonez, his senior, he's a comedian, but he's, uh, he's so uh, loud, you know, and everything. He's like, and I, I can't remember the second part, but they have a thing that it's, they say, hey it's just part of their culture, you know? And so that he's like, a, it's like an expression, you know? And so he's teaching me all these things. <laughs> And um, so it's a lot of fun, you know. It, actually, I think for a lot of Americans, engaging a new culture, you know, Spanish culture, Colombian culture, Filipino, Vietnamese, whatever's the culture. Some Americans are a little hesitant. They just want to be American, you know. But I think it's a it's a eye opening and uh, it's a it's a it's a blessing to other people if you engage their culture, even if you try to speak Spanish or try to speak Tagalog or try to speak. Colombian, you know, whatever, whatever stuff, you know, language, yes. uh, uh, Vietnamese, uh, because you're saying to that person, I, I care about your culture. It's, it has value to me. You know, and I think that's my success in the Philippines because being there the first year is like, oh man, I'm going to learn every word, you know, uh, like uh, uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, you know, they have Isa, Delawatatlo, Apat, Anem, Walo, you know, they have their own. Number system, you have to learn everything. And what so, other what other countries do you know? 
Now that's that, a, that's just a, just a, I, I speak Spanish probably okay. If I if I went to Mexico for about a year, you probably pick pretty, it up pretty, pretty good, quick. pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I know you as a you're the national director of the True Love Weights mm-hmm. in Manila. Mm-hmm. How long have you been in it? It's from there. So that's about 20 years. It, it's been a process. The first two years was um, getting to, you know, um, figure everything out. The second two years, I worked for a publisher, like a Christian publisher in the Philippines called CSM, uh, working on a curriculum for teaching uh, morals and values for young people, college students, you know, training church leaders and going on the radio and TV and like all that, you know. So that was the first four years, two years with this initial organization, two years with the publisher. And then really the second two years with the publisher was creating the job that I have today. So, so, um, so it's been 20 years now. Yeah. Nice. In the Philippines. But, um, and, and back to my culture for my native American heritage, the Waco Indian tribe, you know, <clears throat> when you, <clears throat> excuse me, when you go to, a foreign country, there's something called culture shock. And so most people, um, I mean, almost everybody has to experience culture shock to some degree. So if there's a person in uh, Alabama or Georgia who never went to Mexico, you know, uh, if they go there the first year, it's going to be exciting. You know, everything is new. You know, it's, uh, it's cool. You know, you're learning some of the language, you know, and you're getting to know the location. But then after about 18 months, then things become difficult because the way you think, the way the meeting times, you know, arriving somewhere, how long someone is going to you know, spend time, you know, the way social interactions, it's different in Mexico than it is in the United States, or it's different in, in the Philippines. It's different in Vietnam, you know. As an example, I, I was trying to say this a while ago, in, in, uh, in the Philippines, Americans come over, they get in the vehicle, we have to be somewhere at 2.30. So we look at the clock and it's uh, 2.15. So if you're American and you don't have to be somewhere at 2.30, you're time oriented, time is important. So if we're waiting for um, three Filipinos to arrive, to get in the van, to go to the place that we're going, and we have two Filipinos in the van already, so we're gonna have five Filipinos when the other three arrive. The Americans start looking at their watches at 2.15. Hey, we need to go because we're going to be late to the thing that we have to go to. The The event is important, you know, not the people, you know. <clears throat> so then the Americans will say, okay, it's it's two, uh, 2.20. When are we going to leave, you know? And yeah, so, like, wait, wait. Keep wait, eye on the just, watch and see what just, time just, we're just, going. Just wait, you know. We have, we have two people that are texting. They're on the way, you know. We have to wait for those people. So then if the Americans are, are wanting to make a decision, so it's 2, uh, 25, you know, we have five minutes. The Americans will say, hey, we got to go. We're going to be late. We don't care about those people. They should be on time. They're late. It's their fault. Let's go because we're going to be late. So then the two Filipinos that are in the car, one or maybe both of them will get out of the car because they want to wait for the others to arrive. Even if they if, are not in the vehicle, they'll wait because they don't want those three people to arrive. And then there's no car, no people, nobody cares, you know. So the Filipinos are more concerned about people <coughs> than the than the event, yeah, and the time. Americans are more time oriented. In <coughs> excuse me, this is a general general description of culture. It's not across the board every 
Hispanic person is this way or every Filipino person or every American person is this way. But in general, Americans are, are more time-oriented than people uh, or event-oriented to some degree, you know. Yeah, I guess because, I mean, life is just faster here than over there. Because they just, they just kind of more chill on their Mañana. time. And they get, get it done tomorrow. If you don't get it done today, we'll get it done tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. There's not much pressure on that. Yeah, like if when we first went there as uh, Americans, you know, uh, we're thinking industriousness, you know, oh, we have to get five things done today, you know. But if you go to you wait in a line or go to a government office or you're trying to find some papers or sign something, things take longer, you know. It's not like America, you know. Actually, I'm, I'm shocked when I being in America now because if we go do something, like uh, to get a driver's license, you know, it's so easy in comparison to the Philippines, so difficult, you know. And uh, well, it take a day, I mean, weeks, oh, yeah. months. Yeah, so if you're trying to accomplish something in one day, uh, five things in one day, you might get two things done. And so that's when the culture shock and <clears throat> that really starts getting to you after a while, you know. <clears throat> and uh, one thing that's important about culture shock is if you go to Mexico, you go to the Philippines, you go to Colombia, it's fun and exciting at first, but then it becomes difficult because things are difficult. You know, they're not happening the way it happens in America, you know. But the, so that's called culture shock. And so the... The sad thing about my tribe and the Waco Indians here before is they didn't have to go anywhere to experience culture shock. The new culture was brought to them. So um, people who are foreigners were moving into this part of the United States across from the East Coast. And so our culture, our language, you know, we're, we're doing Native American dances and songs and things like that. And so we're losing that we're experiencing culture shock and we didn't even have to go anywhere. You know, the, the culture, the, the, the people coming in were the ones who were taking away our culture. Whereas if you, if you went to Vietnam or you went to Japan or Colombia or someplace, then you have to adapt to the culture there. Exactly. But the foreigners who came into the United States never adapted to the local culture. They created a new culture, you know? And so, um, and so in some ways, a lot of uh, Indian tribes, Native American tribes, uh, lost some of their culture because of that, of those people coming in, you know, the foreigners. What about their beliefs on, the, on their you know, trip? <clears throat> yeah, so, uh, and, and so for my tribe, uh, you know, the, like uh, other people around the world, they have their own belief or faith system about who God is and those kind of things. So for, for Native American cultures or tribes, there, there may be a variety of ways that people believe. But Christianity came to um, the tribe that I belong to in 1874. So a person was, a, another, a, a black man mm -hmm. shared the Christian message. The, the Bible calls it the gospel. A, a black man who was a slave shared that Christian message to a man who was a Creek Indian. And then that man uh, went to Anadarko, where I'm from, in 1874. He was 40 years old, and he became a missionary to our tribe. So there was one uh, Native American man who was trying to share the Christian message to another group of people who were Wichita Indians, you know, my tribe, Waco Indians. As, and, a, uh, as a missionary uh, for, for these years, what is the biggest project that you've ever done? 
in in my in my uh, yeah. So it's funny because there are 29 million people in Texas. Mm -hmm. So the population of Texas is 29 million. So in the city where I live in Manila, Greater Metro Manila, the population for the city where I live is 24 million. So in our city, we have almost as many people in our city as the whole state of Texas, but it's just our city, you know. So uh, when I talk about the things that I do, like I'm on the TV and the radio like this, reaching about 10 million people annually, Sounds like a lot, but um, it's just because there's a lot of people there people in the city, there. you know. So if you go on the radio, like who, who's going to hear this, you know, th thousands of people, you know, not maybe not millions because the population of Waco, is, I mean, if, if people are listening somehow through the connections in Waco, there's 120 or 30,000 people, you know. So, um, so when we go to schools and we speak and do the things that we do, it's, it's normal to be speaking to about 2,000 people every time, you know. So if I go to a venue and there's a, an audience of young people, college students, usually it's about 2,000 people. Um, I spoke to 5,000 people one time at an event in the southern part of the Philippines. Um, we've had a number of events where there are two, 3,000 people. It's just a normal thing, you know. Um, we've had some concerts and things like that for young people, you know, two, two, three thousand people, you know. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a normal, but it's not because I'm cool or I'm a good speaker. It's just because it's a lot of people there. There's a lot, there. Of, people there's a lot of people. If you go to a public high school in the Philippines, an average public high school has 5,000 students. That's an average. If there's a, if there's a, a high school that has 3,000 students, that's kind of going small. So the world's largest high school used to be Rizal High School in in the Philippines. Now it's a school in Korea, but at that point, about 20 years ago, I think, Rizal High School had about 40,000 kids in one, one high school. So, wow. that, so that's half the population of uh, Waco almost, you know. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think about Waco with all, uh, I know you've been here for a little bit now in Waco and you see, what do you see the difference with all these uh, changes? In yeah, so I, I'm not experiencing the changes like people who have been here for, you know, their lifetime. I, I, I met a young a younger man who must be 28, and he said he was born here, and he's seen a lot of things change, you know, the, the silos, the businesses, the, you know, uh, fixer-upper and all those kind of things have made, you know, think things change a little bit you know i think uh six years ago the tourism the number of people who are visiting as tourists in waco was twenty five thousand people annually so today i think the number is close to two million people yeah, visiting a, annually so i mean yeah waco is it's, it's on the spot weird i'm mad of people now it's just like everybody wants to come to waco and visit yeah. the silence the dr pepper museum has about 150,000 people 160,000 people who visit the dr pepper museum every year the mayborn museum at baylor university have you been there with, yes, with the kids you know kids. it's really really great so we're working in partnership with the mayborn museum about 150,000 people visit their museum every year. So that's one of the reasons why, actually what I'm doing now with my tribe and Waco Indians is it wasn't uh, planned, it's just kind of organic, it just kind of happened. But one of the things that I think I, I wanna work towards, and I'm looking for par uh, financial partners, people who can volunteer their services, 
but I, I'm looking for a property to maybe establish a, a history museum for Waco Indians. Um, and then I'm going to, you know, form a nonprofit and, and try to tell people about our history of, uh, of the tribe, you know. But, um, yeah, I haven't really experienced uh, much change because I'm only here a year, you know. But I can see, and I'm, I've talked to a number of people who have been here their whole life or, you know, a long time, and uh, they are... Uh, actually, I hope I can say this. This maybe it sounds... Maybe it's... Uh, I don't know. Hopefully this won't offend anybody, but because the tribe... My tribe is here between 800... A.D. and 1850s, you know, so we're, we're here almost 11 centuries, you know, 1100 years, you know, a long, long time. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's a local, you know, it would be our tribe, you know, that's the local indigenous people. That would be like going to Mexico and saying, I'm a local, you know. <laughs> no, you're from America. You're not a local, you know. you're Even if you went there and you were there for 40 or 50 years, you're still not a, lo a local. You're from America, you know. Even if you had two, two generations of family, you, you know, yeah. a person who's indigenous to Mexico is a, a Mexican citizen, you know, that, that person would be local. But having said that... Um, well, especially because, you know, like back in, the, back in the day, you know, this was part of Mexico, you know, it was just years and years ago when, you, you know, Mexico lost part of the Texas and all that, New Mexico, Californians, and it's just... Uh, yeah, the borders have been moving around because, actually, that's the problem uh, globally is uh, uh, people are trying to get gr land, you know, and so if it's the Mexican government or the French government, you know, or um, the Spanish, you know, from Spain, you know, um, those are different people. The, the people who are indigenous to the Mexico, you know, are Mexican citizens. And then Spain is different than Mexico, you know, yeah. the people are different, you know. I met a man on an airplane one time, and he said he was from Spain. Um, and so I said something in Spanish, <clears throat> and he's like, oh, that's not, you know, uh, we're different, you know. And so, but... Yeah, it's um, Castellano. That's what they speak over there. Oh, really? Yeah. Castellano. Yeah. It's not really a Spanish. Uh-huh. Yeah. Spanish is something that we talk in Mexico. But right. Castellano is what the Spain people... Right. Yeah, so... Um, so yeah, so I, I'm not really experiencing the changes, but but uh, but our children are grew up in the Philippines, and so they talk about Americans, even though they're American. You know, they talk about Americans like, why do Americans do these things in this way, and why are they like this? You know, things that would be so, different here, huh? Because it's uh, it's not what they're accustomed to culturally, you know. And after maybe four, three or four years, you know, or something like that, they'll kind of adjust, you know. But, uh, like, as an example, in the Philippines, it, it, this is a general statement of culture. In America, if you go to someone's house, this is a very broad statement. There's no, you know, can't say this is everybody. But in America, if someone comes to your house and they say, hey, we're going to come over for dinner, you know, um, there's kind of a time frame, you know. So if uh, if it's uh, eat dinner at 730, you know, then you're assuming that you're going to be done by you know, nine o'clock, you know, but in our culture in the Philippines, you know, there's no time. It's just keep talking as long as everybody's having a good time. It goes till midnight, you know, forever, you know, and then when, when people get ready to leave, then 
in America, <clears throat> in America, this is a general statement. Someone might walk you to the door, and then <clears throat> when you get to the door, then you're on your own, and you walk to the car and you go home. You know, uh, in the Philippines, when you get to the door, the people. I mean, whoever the host is, if it's I'm I'm the host, I walk to the door, then I walk to the car, and then we're talking from the door to the car, and then the people get in the car, and and, and the door is open on the car, and we're still talking. You know, there's a lot of social you know conversation, conversation. and those things it just keeps going. You know, so so when we come to America and those things don't happen, it feels painful, kind of rude, like, why is there just close the door and just, we're, you know, that's it, you know, it seems so uh, Yeah, it's just, it's just different, yeah, it's yeah. not really, yeah. it's like more, um, you know, Mexican family, there's more oriented family, you know, Hispanic people compared to the American people, you know, and that's a great example, the one, the one that you exposed or mentioned, I've seen that before, you know, like America, like you say, invite you to dinner, you know, like there's a time, you know, by seven, by from seven to nine. And after that, it's just like, hey, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and yeah, you, and there's a little bit of that culture in our uh, Hispanic as well. You know, mm -hmm. it's more like a Philippines, you know, where you you walk people to the to the car, to the door, and then you're still talking while you while you saying bye. Mm -hmm. um, I know that you and I have a conversation like a couple of days ago, and then we, you mentioned that whenever uh, son-in-law asked you to talk to your girl, or, you know, like she he came to you and asked you. Oh yeah, yeah, my son. That. That's that's, <clears throat> that's that's one of the things you know that, that I mean here in America, randomly happen, but mainly in countries like well in Mexico they still happen. You know, mm -hmm. little communities you know where you have to go and talk to mom and dad and you know ask permission to talk to the girl yeah the story was like uh my son-in-law who's now my son-in-law that they're married well for about three years now something like that but um uh when i was in the philippines uh he was in la they, they both my daughter was going to college in la and he was also in, in the same college biola university is the school and so they were with some groups of friends, you know, and so when they went out to eat or movies and things like that, it was just friends. It was a big group of people, friends. So it wasn't like he was it, my girlfriend or something like that. So when it came to the point, after really eight or nine months, you know, he started liking my daughter. Uh, he e emailed me and he said, hey, I want to I wanna, uh, call you sometime in the Philippines. I said, okay, sure. So then he called the first time he called, I could tell at the beginning of the conversation, he wanted to say something formal uh, about my daughter. And, uh, and I kind of knew that that's why he was calling. But, but what I, I kind of stopped him and said, I said, uh, I know that you want to ask a question about courtship or dating and those kind of things. I said, but why don't we have uh, two or three conversations where it's just you and me getting to know each other that kind of like you're courting me because if you, if you were to ask me, and I, I said this openly, I said, if you were to ask me in this first conversation, I never talked to you, this is the first conversation, you want to court my daughter, uh, how can I answer that question? I don't even know you really, you know, exactly. I mean, I would have to say yes or no, based on no information. I said, so why don't we spend about a month, you know, and you call me every couple of weeks or whatever, you know, when you have some time. So we, we had like three or four conversations on the phone overseas. 
And then like the fourth call, you know, he said, uh, so now we're, we're kind of friends already after, I mean, a little bit, you know, yeah, to the best. Yeah, they already know yeah, a little bit more about each yeah, other. A relationship somehow. And so then at that point, uh, that first month, you know, he said, um, I wanted to ask permission to court your daughter, you know. And so I said, yeah, I would love you to court my daughter, you know, because he's a great, great young man, you know. So, yeah. But that's, that's you know, when, when we started the program, you were talking about culture, you know. There's so many different things to consider about culture like that, you know. And actually, in American culture, that also existed before Hispanic culture. But globally, because the world is changing and the Internet and all that, uh, people who are 15 years old have more in common here in America with someone who's Korean who's 15 or someone who's Colombian who's 15. Yeah. Music, uh, movies, uh, you know, different things. And so now the cultural difference is the man who's 40-something and the child who's 15, the, there's a, a gap oh, culturally gap. between not, you don't even have to go to Mexico or Colombia or Vietnam, you know. You just have to look in your ch child's bedroom and see there's a cultural <laughs> gap, you know. True. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 amazing how the how culture can um can can be identified people and how can you can how you can reconnect with people and knowing even if you like you say if you don't speak the same language you know it's just it's amazing how cultures can get together and learn from each other so yeah definitely that um it's, it's been amazing that you've been sharing all this information with us you know mm -hmm. because uh, like. I didn't know about the, the real name of the Waco and, mm -hmm. you know, all these hundreds and hundreds of years that, that I didn't even know how to pronounce it, how you pronounce the right mm -hmm. word, you know, and then this is... Waco, yeah, Waco, yeah. That's, so, that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's the name of the tribe. Something, something you need to learn every day, huh? So if you go to Wichita Tribe, Wichita, W-I-C-H-I-T-A, wichitatribe.com, you can see the website for our government and all the things that we do. And I think if you... Go to uh, Wichita Tribe Language App, APP app. You can see uh, uh, an app for our language, you know, so you could count like uno, dos, tres, cuatro, like that. You ches, wets, tau, takwits, squits, gets, gyots, getau, skiriwatch, skinta. You know, you can see you can see the number system. You can Wii U, cat, gitsia, dog, you know. What's the word? Como te dice dog perro? Perro. Yeah. So you can see gitsia, you know, the the word for dog is gitsia, you know, cat. So what's what's the word for cat? Gato. Gato. Gato, yeah. So that's where, like, if, I, if I'm if i not speaking Spanish for a long time, if I have to think of a word, it might be a delay, but it's there somewhere, it's you there know. Somewhere. But if you're not using Spanish, you know. Yeah, I mean, so, um, that, that's... that's um, that, that's good that um that the the language again is just uh is, is for some people is a barrier uh when you don't when you don't know when you go to different countries but i guess it just depends how you open to different uh places where you go you know because like on my on my um then when i when you go to even if you if you go in in different places in the United States, people talk different, they think different. And mm -hmm. oh, you yeah. know, you go to Vegas or you go to Colorado, uh, people yeah, Especially when you, when you go to uh, international 
cities, especially like Florida, there's a huge population of a wide variety of cultures in South Florida, Miami, you know, if you go that that place, you go to LA, New York City, you know, it depends where, where you go. There are different cultures, you know. Uh, you go to, this is not a blanket statement, you know, but, um, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, Missouri, you know, sometimes the way people, you know, engage culture might be different, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, it really just depends the person, you know. Um, some people are excited about learning about other cultures. Other people uh, just um, want to be who they are, and they yeah. don't, they don't want to do that, you know. I, I mean, trust me. I mean, I love to learn about different mm-hmm. languages and yeah. different cultures. And you know, I'm I'm excited that you you mentioned that, that you're working with the Baylor and different people mm-hmm. here in town to probably bring something together and. Um, that way people get to know more about the culture and yeah we're working on uh so the historically the so do you know what a teepee is teepee have you heard of that teepee have you ever seen a picture of where american indians lived in like a a, a, yes poles poles, with a piece of material so not every so that's another another common mis uh misinformation so depending on the part of the united states would change what kind of dwelling or house the particular tribe is living in. You know, if you go to Arizona and that part of the country, the homes are different. They're made out of the natural materials. You know, if you go to other parts of the United States, the culture is different, the language is different, you know. So for our tribe, we're living in grass houses. And right now, if you go to the Mayborn Museum, you can see like a cutaway of what is something like a grass house. It's a synthetic material. Synthetic. It's not. It's not a grass. So my uncle Gerald Miller in Anadarko is seventy uh, something years old, and he's going to be commissioned by the Baylor University to build a grass house in the museum. So that's going to be a traditional grass house. That'll be next summer. Nice. So um, yeah, and I'm, I'm working with the Ranger Museum to help them think about some cultural things. You know, as an example. Um, and the, the leadership at the Ranger Museum um, are great people. You know, Byron Johnson is the director, and Audrey uh, Ladd, I think, is the education person. It's a great group of people. But if you look at the history of the tension, so Texas Rangers, 1850, something like that, Native American population, <clears throat> there's some uh, tension in that story, you know. Um, so the way that's described uh, when you read that is um, if, if you look at the, you know, anything that's written over there, it says hostile Indians. Yeah. So the way they're telling the story is that somehow we're, we're the bad guys to some degree, you know, we're hostile, you know. But uh, if, if uh, the, the, the problem with that uh, description is these people are indigenous to this place, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of, you know, maybe a couple of thousand years. The 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 uh, um, archaeologists people say fifteen thousand years. You know, probably it's not that long. I don't think, but but it's at least two thousand years. You know, so if you're living in a place for two thousand years and some new people come in, um, and you're protecting your nation, it's mm-hmm. your people. You know. Uh, you're a hero, you know, you're not uh, hostile, you know, you're a hero. 
the way that that story should be written should be different, you know. And exactly. so I'm, I'm trying to help with those those kind of things, you know. Nice, and, nice. Yeah. Well, Eric, I just wanted to thank you for that that you come and talk to to us a little bit about the cultures in the Philippines and all. Thank you for all this uh, for the service that you did the military. Mm -hmm. We appreciate that. Um, I, I didn't I didn't know that part that you were in the military. Mm -hmm. How long you were in the military? Six years. Six years. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that part. Marines, yeah, U.S. Marines. That's nice. Uh, I got a bunch of friends that are they're Marines. Oh, really? They're still out there. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, yeah. Great. But um, thank you for, for coming. And Thanks for letting me share. I hope it was uh, interesting. It, it is. It's, um, I'm, if there's anything in the show that Los 30 Trentes can do to help, because I know mm -hmm. you, I would love to hear more about the, the tribes and all that stuff that, that you're doing. Yeah, if, there. if there are some updates or something, I mean, I can come back sometime and talk. But we're trying to bring some cultural presentations. We have Native American dances and songs and culture and different things. Yeah, some absolutely. cool things. Just let, let me know and we'll we get together and we, we do something. Mm -hmm. And um, again, I just want to say thank you for coming and share all the good information. And if you have, if you guys have any questions, si alguien tiene alguna otra pregunta en base, uh, en base a um, cultura, este, bueno, pues háganoslo saber y este, mándenos un correo, mándenos alguna información. Y este, podemos ayudarlos en lo que podamos. Ok, bueno, muchas gracias a toda nuestra audiencia. Que tengan buena tarde. Gracias, Eric. Que tengas yep. linda tarde también. Bye.